the Legal Toolkit with Jared Correa. With guest Mike Feldman, a round of The Town. And then, Jared's going to teach me the game Old Maid. Not sure why he's insisting on playing a strip version of it, though. But first, your host, Jared Correa. It's the Legal Toolkit Podcast. And you know what that means. Oh, you don't? Um, this is kind of awkward. Neither do I. Sorry. It looks as though I've overhyped that. And for some reason, we still call this the Legal Toolkit Podcast, even though I once passed out trying to cut down a sapling. True story. I'm your host, Jared Crea. Larry Sanders was unavailable because Larry Sanders is a fictional character. I'm the CEO of Red Cave Law Firm Consulting, a business management consulting service for attorneys and bar associations. Find us online at redcavelegal.com. I'm the COO of Gideon Software, Inc. We build chatbots so law firms can convert more leads and conversational document assembly tools so law firms can build documents faster and more accurately. You can find out more about Gideon at gideonlegal.com. Now, before we get to our interview today with Mike Feldman, principal of Chalkbridge Ghostwriting and Content about, wait for it, content production. You could have guessed that, I suppose. I've also got something I need to get off my chest. Let's have a frank talk about outsourcing. Lawyers like to do everything on their own. Are they stubborn assholes? Sure. But there's something else going on here, too. Lawyers tend to be perfectionists. They're also really good at things, like doctors and professional athletes. Most attorneys have been high achievers their whole lives. They don't know how not to be. You know, kicking ass, taking names on the regular. So if such a person as that is presented with a problem to solve or a task to do, who do you think the first choice is to tackle it? Themselves, of course. Allow myself to introduce myself. The average attorney is an above-average individual and thinks, I can do that better than anyone else. That can be making coffee or designing a freaking rocket ship. That can truly be literally anything. Throw in a touch of OCD and it becomes even harder to delegate. I know it because towels in my house can only be folded in a particular way. And I'm the only one who can do it right. Yes, I'm really annoying to live with too. And once upon a time, I was a practicing attorney also. I mean, in some ways, this is admirable. You know, high achievers, high achieving. But in a business construct, it can be pretty devastating to your bottom line. It leads to attorneys building their own uniquely horrible websites. Trust me, I've seen a number of them. It leads to lawyers spending time obsessing over the placement of a picture frame in the conference room. It means barristers are trying to figure out how to log in as an admin to a software program. Lawyers who try to do everything on their own really just end up wasting a whole hell of a lot of time. And it's even worse than that because it absolutely kills law firm revenue dead. You see, there's a simple math problem involved here in that lawyers tend to build more than the vendors or staff they outsource projects to. So serious question. Uh, why is your ass out there making coffee instead of billing $450 an hour when you have someone who can make that coffee that you pay $20 an hour to? Now, I'm not a math major, but it sounds like you're losing $430 an hour doing that shit. Even website designers and IT professionals bill less than you do. 
In fact, chances are, unless you're hiring another lawyer, outsourcing is going to be a profitable endeavor, full stop. So while your website designer is out there building you a website, and while your IT person is out there managing your devices, and while your admin is out there brewing coffee, plunk yourself down in front of the computer and start cranking out that legal work. For every hour you're not working on a business-related task that you don't have expertise in, you're making margin, doing the same kind of work that you do have expertise in. This is part of the notion of pricing at the top of your law license, which I've talked about before, meaning that smart lawyers are consumed by doing two things. One, high-level substantive work that they get paid the most for, or two, marketing for more of that same kind of work. Everything else is noise, and noise can be pushed out by outsourcing, as it turns out. To manage this effectively, most lawyers need to undergo a mindset change. They need to be willing to step away a bit and let other professionals manage their own jobs without trying to micromanage them. Because there's a wide gulf between overseeing and micromanagement. But I think you can figure it out. After all, you're a smart lawyer. You can do anything, right? It's been said that perfection is the enemy of the good. But it turns out that perfection is the enemy of the should. Like, you should be outsourcing more shit like yesterday. It's just simple math, people. But now let's hear from Joshua Lennon. That's correct. It's time for the Clio Legal Trends Report Minute. What traits are clients looking for most in a lawyer? According to 86% of surveyed clients, it's being responsive to questions. I'm Joshua Lennon, lawyer and resident at Clio, and this is just one finding from our recent Legal Trends Report. Research shows that the quicker a lawyer is in providing information to clients, the more positive the client experience will be. It's no surprise firms with growing revenue are 41% more likely to use client portals to quickly communicate with clients. These secure portals ensure clients always know the status of their case, resulting in a more transparent and client-centered experience. To learn more about what today's clients expect from their lawyers and how firms can meet those expectations, download Clio's Legal Trends Report for free at clio.com forward slash trends. That's Clio spelled C-L-I-O dot com forward slash trends. So let's find out why the people of the North Shore in Massachusetts are so obsessed with roast beef sandwiches. Honestly, it's kind of weird. I'm not from here. All right, it's time to interview our guest. My guest today, my neighbor, Mike Feldman. He's the principal of Chalkbridge Ghostwriting and Content. Mike, thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me. So as will become apparent to everyone shortly in the audience, Mike and I live in the same town. Mike coaches my son's basketball team. I'm going to ask you some questions about ghostwriting, but I have a disclaimer that I want people to know about first. I want to note... That, yes, I understand that there are some grumblings out there that ghostwriting for law firms is unethical. As you might have guessed, I think that's really stupid. And it's fundamentally an oversight question, like so much of legal ethics is. Plus, lawyers do this all the time. Mike's not an attorney. I'm not going to ask him questions about ethics, mostly because it's asinine. All right, I'm glad we had this talk. Mike. (laughs) what's the difference between ghostwriting and copywriting is there even one i don't know if i understand among the many things i don't understand yeah i mean i think when people talk about ghostwriting specifically they're talking about inhabiting another author's voice 
whereas copywriting, that may or may not be the case. So, but I'm glad you mentioned the thing about the ethics of it. And I'm certainly Mm -hmm. not speaking about ghostwriting in the legal sense, because that's not something that I've done. But there are a bunch of misconceptions about ghostwriting. First and foremost, it's largely thought of in the context of LA and New York City, where it would be referencing books and screenplays, right? Mm -hmm. So generally speaking, that's not what I do. It's also tend to be thought of as a sort of a lonely hermit's thing. Like you go into a cave and you come out days later and you've just produced this piece of writing and put someone else puts their name on it and and that's that. I thought that's but, how it worked. Right. <laughs> so usually it's much more collaborative than that. I like to think of ghostwriting as, you know, the end result is something that the uh, stated author would have produced did they have the time to do it. So this is really just about saving time. Generally speaking, I'm dealing with an author who will give me some bullet points and be like, hey, these are the points I want to cover. I might have covered them 20 times before, but I need a, a new voice or a new fresh way to do that. Can you help me? And then it's so it's a more collaborative process. It's not yeah. like, you know, writing somebody's term paper for them and then they put their name on it. It's not really like that right. at all. That's bad. Um, <laughs> right, right. That is bad. There, There is such a thing as unethical ghostwriting. So it really comes down to how you do it. And and the, the other misconception, I think, is that it's something that's used by bad writers. And I'd be mm. willing to bet you that because a lot of lawyers are very good writers, that very few are in any way interested in ghostwriting. However, what I tend to find is that the people I work with can write just fine. It's just that their time might be better spent doing something else rather than fleshing yes. out those bullet points. So that's that's how I approach it. So I have no ethical qualms with, you know, how I approach it. But yeah. um, certainly it is a fine line and you have to be mindful of that. So like that's ghostwriting. I get that. So would you view copywriting as something different? Like is that like putting together like blog posts or like white papers for a business that don't necessarily have an author? outside of, like, the corporate author? Yeah, so I think those terms sometimes get used interchangeably, but certainly Mm -hmm. writing on behalf of an organization, I mean, to me it's kind of like a potato-potato. Like, is it ghostwriting? Is it copywriting? I don't know. I'm writing for your organization and trying to capture your organizational voice. Um, Fair. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this, because I thought that was an interesting point that you brought up, right? Lawyers are good writers. Yes, (laughs) to a point. But lawyers are also good writers when it comes to writing about legal stuff. So they love like Supreme Court cases from the 1870s, and they love using Latin phrases. And I imagine this comes up in ghostwriting in other areas as well. Like, is part of what you do helping a business person who has a specific expertise communicate in a way that lay people understand? Like, do you act as a translator almost from time to time? Sometimes. Sometimes that's really important. And in fact, sometimes that's why somebody will reach out to somebody like me, because they they do want to be able to talk shop, so to speak, but then have that come across in a way that will make sense to some person who doesn't have that vernacular, doesn't have that language. And so you're absolutely right. Sometimes it does come down to almost like a translation thing. The other thing I think people probably worry about in addition to like getting the right terms across and not using too many terms of art, right, is like being authentic. Do people have that concern? Like even if they don't want to write it, they want help with it, 
and hand it over to somebody else. So they worried about like it not being authentic, like it's not coming from them, like their business voice. And how do you overcome something like that? I think it's important to understand that any sort of quality ghostwriting happens after a lengthy discussion mm. in which, you know, I'm getting to know the business and or the person involved. And so by the time we're done, and I say this up front with everybody I work with, what all we're going to do is what you yourself would have done if you had the time. I'm saving you time. I'm not, you know, hopefully I can turn a phrase in a way that's appealing and whatnot, but I'm not here to create something that you would have never thought to create. So in that sense, I try and set people's mind at ease that, you know, this is still their work product. And I think once people go through the process, they see that. But until you go through the process, it's hard to kind of wrap your head around that concept. Yeah, so so let's extend on that a little bit. Because I'll tell you, I get a bunch of law firms that ask me about copywriting services and ghostwriting services. And almost invariably, they don't know somebody to go to. They don't have a contact. So how should attorneys or business people go about trying to find a copywriting service or a ghostwriting service? Like what should they be looking for in terms of criteria and service provision? I'm going to answer this question in two different ways. Okay. Great. (laughs) If a firm is looking for somebody to write about the law, then they need to seek out somebody with legal expertise. Hmm. If they are looking for somebody to your, what we were talking about earlier, translate some of these legal concepts or just some of the talking points that they've been hitting on, but they want to keep hitting on in a way that's new and fresh, then that's where somebody like myself comes in with a fresh pair of eyes and a general audience's perspective. And, you know, they just reach out and we talk. And I think that's what's missing from a lot of business owners, not just law firms, like people who are in the weeds every day in their own business, they speak the same language they talk the same way to their colleagues. And this notion that you have of like a fresh pair of eyes, like that's really helpful just to get somebody to look at this and say, hey, a lay person has no clue what this word or term means. Just doing that, I think, must be tremendously helpful for people. Yeah, I mean, I recommend that whether it's law or any sort of field, mm. getting a second pair of eyes on your content is always a good idea. From the lay person's point of view, which is where I would come in, it would just be about like, Let's check on your blind spots. And because you don't know what you don't see, I know you're a, a TV guy, so I have to ask you, did you ever watch uh, Schitt's Creek? No. Is it good? Should I watch it? You should watch it. You you would love Schitt's Creek. And I, and the reason I bring it up in this context is, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you one spoiler, but I think this spoiler is going to get you hooked on watching the whole series. <laughs> All okay? right, hit me. So there's a billboard. And it's a, you know, sort of a tourist, you know, welcome to the town billboard. And it's showing like the founder of the town and a woman. And he is bent over this woman in, shall we say, a very suggestive (laughs) manner that you would not necessarily want to plaster across a billboard advertising your town. And so somebody, (laughs) an outsider comes into the town, right, and calls this to their attention. And the mayor of the town says, oh, but that you don't know the, the history. That's his sister. It's not a big deal. And he's like, oh, okay, okay, okay. So, But he said, oh, but we'll, we'll fix the billboard. So then at the end of the episode, they, they drive by. Exact same picture, but at the top it says, don't worry, that's his sister. 
<laughs> okay. So, so, the, so All right, this I'm is, sold. I'll this watch is my, this is my representation of second pair of eyes, not seeing, you know, your blind spots. That's, that's my Shit's Creek blind spot moment for you, Jared. I love how you brought it home, man. One of these days I'm going to do a monologue on Shit's Creek you watch. All right. Um, all right, so let me ask you some logistical questions. Like, okay. I, I get the whole process behind it. It's understandable to me. I know why attorneys and other business owners need it. What kind of content should people be looking for? Because I think this is something as well. Like, people want to produce content, but there's so many different ways to do it now, right? You could do blogs, you could do ebooks, you could do white papers. Like, what kind of requests are you getting for written content, and what are you seeing people gravitating to now? So far this year, what I've been working on is social media, some proofing and development on RFPs, hmm. press releases, blogs and columns, presentations and talking points, some website content, maybe some white paper editing, e-newsletters, and testimonials. Huh. I think that's pretty comprehensive of what I've worked on so far just in like the first couple months of 2022. Yeah, it's pretty broad, actually. That's a lot more than I would have anticipated. Yeah. So, I mean, my, my company is called Chalkbridge Ghostwriting and Content, and the and content part is probably the majority of what I do. But ghostwriting, mm. I throw in there because it's a nice niche, which some people are looking for and is not an oversaturated right. market. So that's part of why I have this sort of dual nature of, of mm. my business. But yeah, but, you know, in terms of like what people should be looking for, like I don't have a playbook. I don't come into a client meeting and say like, OK, let's run, you know, option C, which involves X, Y, and Z. I sit down, to, probably much like you do, and I talk to them, and I listen to them, and I and say, okay, what are we trying to do? Who are we trying to reach? And then we start thinking about, you know, what are the different platforms? And I'm always trying to repurpose things in as many directions as make sense as humanly possible. So when it's working well, I'm not doing just one thing for somebody. I'm building a piece of content that, that then gets, you know, spliced out in several different directions. That's really interesting. So like, I, I wouldn't have pegged that, but like, so you're like drafting like social media posts, which could be really short form content if it's like a tweet or something like that, right? Correct. Yeah. That's interesting. And I guess that would help. Like, I don't know if you view it this way, but if I was the company owner, I'd be interested in that because the more content I had my company writing for me, the more similar the voice is. And that's better for messaging, right? Is that part of the sales pitch also? Like the more I Absolutely. write for you, the more it sounds alike? Absolutely. And and that's that's a huge part of it is, you know, okay, you need a blog, you need a column for your website. But if I do that, why don't I also create some social posts for you? And oh, by the way, like, what if we did a video with that same theme? And so I focus on the words because that's the anchor of your messaging. But I'm really all about branching out from there in as many directions as makes sense. And not just not just written directions either. You know, it could be graphics, it could be photo, it could be video. I haven't done podcasts yet. I have to leave that to, to the experts like you. But uh, Oh, wait, yeah. like me? Oh, that's Evan <laughs> and Adam. I'm just a puppet. So in terms of like the social media and the content marketing thing, I think that's a really interesting intersection as far as I'm concerned. Like, so you get the content prep for people. And then are you worried that like, they're going to screw the process up, like post it at the wrong time, post it in the wrong platform. Do you try to work with like social media people or do you sometimes post things for people? Like how, how involved do you get in that? And what's the line between like content production and social media management to your mind? Yeah. 
So the short answer to your question is both. For a subscription client, because I, I know when you operate on a subscription basis. and Yeah, it's the way to go, man. Right. Yeah. And in fact, I think when, when I was first starting this, that was one of the most helpful things. When we, I remember we met probably a couple of years ago when I was founding this and you were like, you should yes. really think about subscriptions. And that has been a real, that was a really uh, helpful oh, piece awesome. of, of insight. So I want to thank you for that. Um, oh, you're welcome. So yeah, so the answer is both. It's for a subscription client where I'm sort of like really in the full, you know, 360 degree content strategy world with them. I'll post it myself. If I'm just sort of being hired to come in and help them create an article for the website or something like that, then I might just, you know, once I'm done, I'm done. And I yeah. might suggest a post, but they can take it or leave it. And if they have a, a social media team, then more power to them. So I really kind of just work with them wherever they're at. And I can go either way on that. That makes sense. Well, I got to tell you, like, I didn't know you were doing as much as you're doing. And frankly, I didn't know the copywriting involved so much. And there's like, there's like a little bit of a PR role here as well, right? Because you're doing press releases and stuff from time to time as well. Right. Yep. So I, again, for a subscription uh, client, I would also do, I, I do also do media relations. And that's the type of thing where, um, not to keep harping on the subscription thing, but it really has to be that way because media relations is kind of like baseball, you know, if you strike out seven times out of 10, you're doing fantastic, you know, because you got those three hits. And so right. as a relatively lean sort of boutique style agency, I don't have a lot of time to waste on calling up reporters and hearing no. So it's not something that I really get enlisted for on a one-off basis. But if again, if I'm in sort of this 360-degree right. right. content world with a client, then it is part of my bag of tricks. And as a former reporter, I tend to be pretty good at discerning, you know, who's open to what and how to get stuff published. Awesome. Mike, I learned a lot, honestly. Like, <laughs> there's more, th no, there's more options accessible here than I, than I thought there were. And the subscription model is interesting. There's also the ad hoc model. So seriously, thanks for coming on today. I appreciate it. I'm psyched to be here, Jared. We'll take one final sponsor break so you can hear more about what our sponsors can do for your law practice. Then stay tuned for the rump roast. It's even more supple than the roast beast. Partner with Rankings.io, the marketing agency for law firms that want results, not excuses. With flat rates for Google ads, a track record ranking attorneys for the most competitive terms on Google, and a team always easy to reach by phone, even during off hours, Rankings.io is the agency of choice for firms that want the rankings, traffic, and cases other law firm marketing agencies just can't deliver. Visit Rankings.io for a free consultation and start seeing your firm grow. Contract automation isn't a trend. It's a strategic imperative. Though big players in the e-sign world will make you believe implementing it will cost you big bucks and more than a few headaches, it doesn't have to be that way. DocuB is an easy to onboard, full suite of products that includes e-signature, brilliant workflow capabilities, and AI contract automation at nearly half the price of those out-of-touch behemoths. The one thing DocuB doesn't automate? Their customer service. Visit get.docub.com slash contracts to set up a call with a real live person. DocuB will be with you every step of the way. 
simplify. With Cosmolex, the only fully integrated practice management solution. Everything you need, accessible anywhere. Trust and general accounting is built in, so you don't need QuickBooks. Cosmolex's Money Finder reminds you to bill for work you put into client matters so you don't leak money. That's messy. Lower cost, better business, and less frustration. Yes, please. It's all built in with Cosmolex. Free trial and take 20% off your first year at Cosmolex.com. Welcome back, everyone. We're here in the rear end of the Legal Toolkit. It's the Rump Roast. That's right. It's a grab bag of short-form topics, all of my choosing. Why do I get to pick? Because I'm the host. Mike, I see you're still here. Welcome back. Still good to be here, Jared. Great. And I'd, I'd like to introduce... Well, you might rethink that momentarily. But I'd like to introduce two additional guests. I figured since we're doing the Beverly reunion here, Mike and I live in the same town, Beverly, Massachusetts, we'd invite on our wives. So we have Mike's wife, Kathleen, and my wife, Jessica. Would you guys like to introduce each other? Kathleen, we can start with you. Introduce, introduce each, each other? other? Well, that was... <laughs> Don't introduce each other. Introduce <laughs> yourselves individually, starting with Kathleen. Go ahead, Kathleen. My name is Kathleen Feldman. I work in finance, and I'm a city councilor here in the great city of Beverly. Very nice. Love it. All right, Jessica, your turn. I'm Jared's wife, Jessica. Um, you can I'm stop sure. now. No, go ahead. <laughs> Actually, um, Jared is my husband. He's Jessica's husband. And um, I also live in Beverly. I work at a law firm and I have two podcasts. I have Escape a Travel podcast and uh, Fab Five, which is also a travel podcast because I'm also a travel agent. So Now, the point that I want to establish is that everybody lives in the same town. I think this is really appropriate for this Rump Roast segment. Oh, boy. We're going to play a brand new quiz game called The Town. Mike, you've lived in Beverly, Massachusetts your whole life. Jessica, you've lived on the North Shore of Massachusetts your whole life. Kathleen, you're from Buffalo originally, right? But you moved here? Correct. Yes, I am from out of town as well as I moved here. So we've got a lot of perspectives in play. So I'm going to ask some questions about what it's like to live in a town and I want the towny perspective from Mike and Jessica. Now, don't get nervous. I'm not going to ask you any specific questions about the town we live in. I promise. This is a townie's guide to life. Okay. Question number one. As a townie, what are you most likely to wear while pacing around the yard talking to yourself? Anyone? Am I the only one who does this? This is unfortunate. Flip-flops. I mean, I'm guessing it's going to be slides or flip-flops, basketball shorts. I've seen this before. <laughs> And like a bathrobe. I mean, if it's if it's if it's the the image I'm coming up with, I can't do that. But I'm guessing it's basketball shorts, some type of pajama type game, and flip flops because I've seen that drop off by the dad at like Caterpillar Clubhouse a lot. So that's my that's my yes. take. Oh, Jessica's laughing because that's think, that's what I wear every day. I think a bathrobe with boxers is like is key. Mm. I think yeah. like. Yeah. Girls were wearing black yoga pants and flip-flops, maybe a sweatshirt. I don't know. Mm. That's what we'd be wearing. Mike, how about you? What are you you rocking when you're in the yard talking to yourself? Uh, For my yard pacing attire. Mm -hmm. So I usually go into my yard pacing closet 
and pull out some sweatpants or uh, running pants that are way too big, stained with paint of various <laughs> colors from assorted projects over many years, and, and a T-shirt with holes and mysterious stains in the general armpit region. Mm. Which is reserved for yard pacing because that will just up the, you know, crazy the factor. factor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. the crazy factor is way up. I like that. I like that. I do prefer like the slides and the shorts, like that Florida guy video when the guy's wearing like his Adidas slides and he traps an alligator in his trash barrel. Like that's me, except not. Oh, I trashing. haven't seen that. Oh, good. That's good. You got to watch that. But let's be honest, you don't usually put like like significant clothes on to go outside to take the trash out. All right. If we're being honest, mm-hmm. I've definitely gone outside right. and just boxer shorts before. So be thankful. I've gone out in just my pajamas, which is kind of like a girl, like the equivalent yeah. Same. because I've taken the trash or the compost out like first thing or yeah, you know. tank top and shorts. Sure. So Jared, yeah. this question hits a little close to home for me because mm. growing up as a kid, my father used to mow oh, the God. lawn mm-hmm. on a busy street in Beverly in nothing but a speedo. <laughs> I so love to get his tan. That's, that's, that's the tan. stock that I come from. <laughs> Jared would totally do that, by the way. So. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, all right, I, I would have also accepted thong. Okay, <laughs> well, I got I got two questions left. We're going to cut some of this, obviously, but let's just get through it. Nevin can pick the best parts. I'm sure he's listening intently because he's a pervert. Okay, question two. Question two. If someone wanders into the local area wearing a sweatshirt emblazoned with the logo of a neighboring high school sports team, the appropriate response is to do what? Kick them in the balls. <laughs> I like how fast that she didn't hesitate. Yeah, it's like she hadn't done that hesitate. before. <laughs> Anyone else wow. have any thoughts on this? <laughs> Am I wrong? <laughs> No, I don't. No one's. No one's correcting you. I think you're right. <laughs> I don't have a good response. That seems like it's you know. What Buffalo, could be better than in that? In Buffalo, do you like shake hands with your with your no, opponents or? I think I think no. The you throw a dildo into the like end a, zone, right? That's what they yeah. do in Buffalo. <laughs> that is what we do in Buffalo. <laughs> Bill's Mafia is way more about shenanigans than actual violence. But um, <laughs> but I think that it's a uh, it's because it's from I was from like a city city, and so there wasn't like. There were different schools in the city, but it was there wasn't other neighboring towns. It was just all Buffalo, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. you need like a it regional. You need like a city rival yeah. to make that really a thing. I also <laughs> would have accepted siphoning gas from their car, saying mean things about them in a loud voice, and pretending you don't see them, and pepper spray. But all good answers. Yours was the best, Jessica. Was balls okay. number one? But balls is now number one. Yes. Okay. Although I had Rochambeau on the last question, so. All right, last question. Which animal would you be most likely to buy and keep in your yard to piss off your asshole neighbor? I've thought a lot about this, but I'll let everyone else answer first. Chickens, chickens, absolutely. And we're going to call them emotional support animals. Chickens that are called emotional support animals that would infuriate said neighbor. Llamas, something really hippie. Something super hippie. Alpacas, and they are emotional support alpacas. And I'm going to need them. Because I have a doctor's note. That's gonna, want, that would kill him. If we want to make right this there. super Beverly, it has to be yeah. chickens and alpacas. Like Yes. Agreed. Like, that's the only thing that's really going to raise people's spirits. Or, or uh. roosters. 
Roosters mm. would be They're really illegal. Good. Are They're they? illegal in Beverly. Mm-hmm. Roosters oh, are illegal. Why do you know all the rules? Oh, Elected officials. They're thing. really something yeah. really loud. Something that shits a lot. Yeah, all those right, are great chi- answers, by the way. I know what yours chickens is, but why don't you tell us what yours is? Well, no, there's a lady in our neighborhood who walks a chicken around on a leash. That's got to be an emotional support chicken. <gasps> it has like. to be. I think that she supports the chicken emotionally. Well, I think we also have people Emotional who, ca- who carry their dogs down the street. Like they go for a stroll with their dogs in their arms too. Like not babies. a Bjorn? Not like a but baby? They, not like but a they are, they are the good neighbors though. I like chicken lady and dog lady. Chicken lady and dog lady are great. They're some yes. of my favorite neighbors. Yeah. Mike, you got an animal for us? An emotional Ooh. support beast of some kind? Well... I'm thinking just a giant flock of birds, but not just like a few. Like, I'm talking Alfred Hitchcock level <laughs> birds, like a, a, a significant flock, so that when they move, your neighbor is just absolutely terrified. <laughs> that would be my go to. I like that. You also love birds. I'd almost consider it like flightless birds. That would be trying to fly penguins? in a group. Oh, penguins would be. Oh, penguins would be good. Oh, penguins, penguins would, be, would be great. And we have the pool, but everyone would like them. If you're That's trying true. to piss someone cute. off. Yeah, nobody's going to get annoyed with penguins. But yeah, I would, support penguins. Delightful. <laughs> Kathleen, you have you have a lot of information on city ordinances, so I want to ask you. I was seriously looking into buying a zebra online at the start of the pandemic. I was going to be able oh, to score one okay. for about fifteen hundred bucks, and I just wanted it to live in the yard. Would that have been legal in the city? Probably not. I'm going to go with not because I think it would be an exotic. uh, You have to license your pets um, or at least dogs, anything that's like or livestock. And I would believe that would require an exotic pets license. But wait, what if it's an emotional support zebra? I mean, from what I've heard, you don't even really need. It's really easy to just get a doctor's note that says that's it. All right. I'm working on it. I just would request you don't put me in that position. Okay. Okay. <laughs> no zebras, just for no. you. Yeah. Just just don't don't bring it up as like to your city councilor. Thanks, everybody. That's the rump roast. If you want to find out more about Mike Feldman and Chalk Bridge Ghostwriting and Content, visit chalkbridge.com. That's C-H-A-L-K-B-R-I-D-G-E. Chalkbridge.com. Now, for those of you listening in Danvers, Massachusetts, go fuck yourselves. We've got a new Spotify playlist for this episode. Songs about places. Local places need only apply. Unfortunately, there's no time left to play Strip Old Maid, so I'm going to pull my fans back up. And if you want to subscribe to our OnlyFans page, oh, never mind. We don't have one. That'll do it for another episode of the Legal Toolkit Podcast. This is Jared Korea reminding you that dolphins sleep with one eye open, and so do I. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, Join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, 
lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the unbillable hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.